My name is Caleb, and I'm a member um, and an elder here at Rock Hill. Some things you should know about me, I am also a husband and a father. I have two little boys who keep us very busy. Um, Another thing you should probably know about me, this is one of Jim's favorite stories about me. When I was in college, I drank an entire bottle of maple syrup for $10. (laughs) And I was not able to keep that bottle of syrup down for very long. Yes. So, um... Thank you. Uh, that's all of it that you need to know. So, um, I just thought I would share that so that you don't have to try to picture me in my underwear. No, I think that's actually that's what the speaker's supposed to do. Never mind. Um, so, in case you haven't been around church lately, or maybe you've forgotten, but we've been going through the book of Exodus, which is this book in the Old Testament. So the first part of the Bible, and it's this really riveting story of how God takes this people who have been in slavery for 400 years, and he walks them out of slavery in Egypt through this desert into the promised land that he's set aside for them. Um, And just to put that in perspective, I was thinking about that this week. Um, Does anybody know how long the, the United States of America has been a country? Roughly 200 years, everybody mumbled. Um, so we've been a country about 200 years. Israel was in slavery for 400 years. So there was no one in that nation who remembered a time when they weren't slaves. That's been their whole existence. So it's not a small thing for God to take them up out of Egypt. They didn't, like Jim talked about a few weeks ago with the Amalekites, they didn't have a bunch of weapons, they didn't have a bunch of possessions, they didn't have this massive revolt where they could just defeat the Egyptians and move on. This was a huge miracle. And I've been fascinated as we've been turning through these pages of the story. There's kind of this cool push and pull where where we zoom in and we see Moses and we see God developing Moses as a leader to lead his people. And then it zooms out and we'll see the nation of Israel and we see how God is shaping the nation of Israel. And it's a cool picture that I've noticed that God is interested in us as a people as much as he's interested in us as individuals. And he can handle all of that together. And if you remember Moses, we're going to zoom in on him a little bit this week. He wasn't exactly the poster child that we would assume God would be looking for as a leader. He was a murderer. He was a coward. He hid away in the desert for many years, ashamed. And God took him out of that place and brought him up to lead millions of people out of slavery. So what is the value in looking at this ancient book of Exodus? Why would we even spend our time doing this? Well, if you read the New Testament very much at all, you'll quickly see that most of the New Testament writers refer back to the Old Testament. And in Romans, Paul even says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So we read books like Exodus so that we can gain hope by watching the endurance of people like Moses and the Israelites as they walk through the desert. So we've remembered what the themes of Exodus are. 
We know why we're looking at it. We're going to zoom in this week on Moses, but first I'd ask you to pray with me before we start reading the text. God, um, I just confess to you that I'm, I'm not worthy to try to share your holy word. Um, I feel a lot like Moses. Um, I feel like I hide in shame, and I've done so many things in my past, God, but I pray that somehow you would teach us this morning through your word. pray that you would give us a glimpse into your grand story that you're writing through the ages and how we can be a part of that. And pray that you would speak individually to each one of us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bible, if you have your mobile app, or if you want to look up on the screen, we're going to read Exodus 18. Um, And it's a story of Jethro and Moses. Jethro, the priest of Midian, the father-in-law of Moses, heard everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife, Zipporah, his father-in-law, Jethro, received her and her two sons. One was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have... Oh, I'm out of order here. So Moses said... I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eleazar, for he said, my, God, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness, where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro sent word to him, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, in case there was another Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and went to the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hands of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, And who rescued the people from the hands of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. For he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. So... Apparently, at some point earlier in the story, Moses had sent away his mother and his, not his mother, his wife and his kids and sent them to her dad. So they're staying there for a while. And Jethro says, I've heard everything that God's been doing. I'm going to bring them back and see you and hear about this in person. So he's already heard at least a glimpse of what's been going on in the story of Exodus. So Moses comes out. He hasn't seen his wife in months. And he gives his father-in-law a kiss. Interesting. But I think it's a great picture of showing honor. I think Moses at this point could be really arrogant. He has just brought millions of people out of the hands of the most powerful regime in the world at that time, through the sea, through the desert, and come to this place at the foot of the mountain of God. Moses could potentially start feeling a little bit arrogant, but instead he bows in honor to his father-in-law and invites him in. And then he shares, best I could tell, the first really clear testimony of what God has been doing. 
I don't know what you guys call your father-in-law. I had this awkward thing when I got married that I was like, do I call him dad or do I call him Russ? I don't know. So I actually didn't call my father-in-law anything until we had kids and I started calling him Opa and the problem was solved. (laughs) So I don't know what Moses called Jethro. But I just want to picture this story for a second. Moses is telling Jethro everything that's happened. Jethro, we were slaves. You know we were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. We had nothing. We had no way out of our slavery. And God took us out. He sent these plagues. He got us out of Egypt. And then he brought us to the sea. And we had nowhere to go. And he parted the waters. And we walked through on dry ground. And the waters came back and washed away everything that was behind us. And then here we are, staring at this wilderness with nothing in front of us, nothing to take with us, and God sustained us. And he brought this bread from heaven up out of the ground that we could gather each day. And he took this water out of this rock to give us water to drink in the middle of this desert. And Jethro heard that, and he worshiped God, and he said, now I know that this is truly the God of all gods. He is the one that we should worship. I just think that's a cool picture. I just see these parallels between that and the New Testament, these parallels between that and the way that we receive Jesus and the way we share our testimony about him, that we are stuck in our slavery of sin. We have no way out. There's no way I can fight my way out of slavery, but God steps in and takes us out of slavery, washes us in baptism, and washes away all of the past. And then here we are. It doesn't get any easier. I don't know if you've been walking with Jesus very long, but it doesn't get easier. But daily, he gives us the manna, the bread from heaven, the living, living bread that we can eat that is he himself, and he sustains us. And he gives us the living water that we can continue walking through the desert with him. I was at a uh, family reunion a few years ago, um, and I'm sure that you guys probably have family members that you maybe have a hard time with. For me, it's my uncle, and he is like genius level brilliant, and his favorite thing to do is make you feel really dumb, and that's pretty easy for him when he's with me. So we're sitting around the campfire one night, and... I'm talking with my uncle, and I just felt like I was saying, you got to talk to him about your faith. Okay, so I asked him, Uncle Vic, there was this thing you said the other day about God that just made me wonder, what do you think about God? Have you ever thought about this? Little did I know, he has spent his life studying and trying to prove wrong the existence of God, and he is very good at it. And I walked away from that conversation feeling very dumb and wondering, what is this that I'm believing? And God stepped in in that moment and he showed me this scripture in 1 John where John is saying, I have seen and I have tasted the Lord. I've touched him and I've walked with him. And I thought, wow, God. There's nothing more powerful than our testimony of what God is doing. There was no scripture that I could share with him. There was no scientific fact that I could share with him that could convince him that God was real and that he was worth following.
But there's nothing about my testimony that he could disprove. There's nothing about what God's done in my life that he could say anything about. So we are at a standstill, and to this day, I don't think he still understands who God is. But I realized there's something there that can't be shaken. And I think that's what Moses was sharing with his father-in-law. So what comes next after that in the story? Um, This must have been on a Sunday because the next day, it says, Monday morning, Moses had to go back to work. Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning until evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing? Why do you sit alone as judge while all these people stand around you from morning until evening? And Moses answered, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. Listen to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and his instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple ones, they can decide themselves, and that will make your load lighter because they'll share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. So Moses listened to his father-in-law, did everything he said. He chose capable men and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. That statement that Jethro makes to Moses, what you're doing is not good, that makes me think of that syrup story from college. What I was doing was not good. But that was a different kind of not good than what Moses is doing here. What I was doing was dumb. That was a bad choice. What Moses is doing is he's trying to do too much good. Can anybody relate with that? There's all these good things that God's bringing into his life. And he's trying to handle all of them. And Jethro wisely says, this is not good. So I've been wondering, why would Moses be doing this? Um, And I have a few thoughts about it. I don't know if this is right or not. But I've just looked at Moses' life that we've seen throughout Exodus. And if you remember, Moses, when he was born, he was actually abandoned in the Nile River. The start of his story was being orphaned as a child. He grew up in Pharaoh's home, in the home of an Egyptian, as an outsider. So he never quite fit in. He tried to go and help his own people, and they said, we don't need you. And he went out to the desert and wandered alone and hid for 40 years. At that point, God calls him back to this ministry of leading them out of Egypt 
And if any of you have ever been in leadership, that's a really lonely place to be. I think, I think that Moses was needing some healing from this time. I think he would have an incredible hard time trusting other people. If he grew up as an orphan, as an outsider, cast out by his own people, and cast out by the people that he grew up with. So God is working on Moses through time to help him see that he needs other people. And we see that right from the start. God calls Moses. He says, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. Moses says, I can't do it. And God says, take Aaron with you. Okay, so Moses can walk with Aaron. Fast forward a little bit to the Amalekites that Jim was talking about a couple weeks ago. Here's Moses climbing the mountain and starts realizing that every time he lifts up his hands, Israel starts winning the battle. But he can't keep his hands up on his own. And in steps Aaron and her. Now there's two helping Moses hold his hands up and lead the Israelites. And now we get to the base of the mountain of God. As we see in the next few parts of the story, Moses is actually going to go up on the mountain and receive the Ten Commandments. But before that, God wants him to see, you still can't do this with just the three of you. You need more people with you. So Jethro steps in, tells Moses, and God uses Jethro to rebuke Moses and start training others. But I think the interesting thing is that Moses has to get over these insecurities and his baggage and stop living out of where he came from in order to empower others to lead around him. But I think the bigger thing that I see in this story is that this thing that Jethro is asking Moses to do, to train other people, this has been God's design since the beginning of time. If we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, God puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and what does he tell them? He says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Take what I've created. Take this chaos and help bring, help bring order to it the same way I did in creation. Fill the earth, spread your influence, and multiply through the earth and subdue it. And then the fall happens and the curse and God sends a flood to wipe out the earth. And Noah and his family are left. And they step off of the ark. And what does God tell them? Get everyone off of the ark and begin to multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. God's still got the same design. Now Jethro is telling Moses the same thing. You can't do this by yourself. You have to multiply to be able to fill the earth and subdue it. And Jesus tells the same thing to us in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Don't just huddle up in this room, the 12 of you together. Go and make disciples of all nations, the whole earth. Baptize them and then teach them everything that I've commanded you and I'll be with you. Moses is here trying to teach God's commands, pass it on to other people so that they can do the same. And Jesus wants us to do the same. I don't know if you've ever tried to do this. Have you ever tried passing on leadership? I tried to think back to some times that I've tried to do this, and I haven't done it well. But I think that one of the hard things about this is that it brings out a lot of insecurity in me. What if, what if the people that I've been leading aren't going to be able to step up into this? What if they fail? What if they do something wrong, as if I've done it perfectly but I think even deeper is the question of, what if they do it better? 
What if this person I empower does it better than me and I'm found out and I'm a fraud? But the interesting thing about God's story is that unless we do this, we're the end of the story. God's never been interested in just changing my life. He's never been interested in just changing your life. He's interested in changing my life so that I can go out, so I can share that with others. I, didn't, I couldn't think of a good illustration for this, but I was trying to think about, like, we're not like a swimming pool. Like, he's not just filling us with water. We're like a sprinkler. Like, his water is going out through us to spread over the world. We don't just hold it in. So, knowing this, now we're supposed to try to pull some application. Like, what does this look like in my life? And... I think a, a pretty quick area for me to go to right now is work. Like I've just, this year has been like a year of burnout for me. I've just been overwhelmed with all these things that are coming my way. And they're good things. Just like Moses is dealing with here. I really think God has called me to the work that I'm doing. And it's good things that he's bringing my way. But I just feel God saying, you can't do this alone. You have to train others to help you in the work. And maybe that's where you're at. Maybe... It's within our church. Maybe there's something. Maybe you're leading a CLC. Maybe you're leading a setup team. Maybe you're leading a children's ministry. Maybe God's saying, how can you pass this on to other people? But as I thought about that, I thought, that's too small. The whole point of this, the whole point of God's provision, the whole point of him walking through this deliverance is not so that we have a fun, happy church where leaders aren't burnt out because they invest in others, but it's so that we aren't burnt out and that we go and invest in the world. It's too small of a thing for us to have a successful church plant in Lawrence, Kansas. God's looking to impact the nations. So I think my word to me is get over myself and start empowering others to do what God's called them to do. Give others a chance to be faithful with a little so that he can give them more as they grow. And the last thing that I'll say as I've read this, I've just wondered. um, I've just thought about the men who were in charge of the ten. I think we noticed Moses, and I think, man, managing a thousand people would be overwhelming. But he broke up leaders to manage the thousands, the hundreds, the fifties, and the ten. And their names weren't written in here for us to know who they were. But Moses couldn't do it without them. So I wonder who was more important in the story. Was it the leader of the ten, or was it Moses? And I think both are important. I think God gave each a role. Just like Paul tells us, we're all members of a body. We can't do life without each other. The hand can't say, I don't need the foot. There's not a part of the body that's more important than the other. We all need each other. Jim's not more important than the person teaching in the nursery this morning. We can't have church without both. So maybe God's calling you to step out of just being a consumer and sitting. Maybe he's calling into leading 10. And maybe your 10 looks like volunteering where no one sees it. Maybe your 10 looks like leading 10 people. Maybe it's leading a CLC. Maybe it's doing setup. Maybe it's going into the nations or across the street. 
But I think that our impact on the world, the extent on which we impact the world, is going to be directly limited by the way that we impact those around us and empower those around us. So maybe you're a leader of a thousand, and this morning God's asking you to move into a position like Moses was in to oversee all of this. Or maybe you're not leading at all, and God's asking you to move in and step into leading the ten. But wherever it is, it's not really about you. It's not really about us. It's about seeing God's glory moving to the nations. And he's calling us and asking us and giving us an opportunity to be a part of that. So that's all that I have. I don't have any more silly syrup stories. But I do want to pray for us before we move into a time of worshiping through song and of prayer. Um, God, my heart is convicted this morning. Um, It's a hard thing to do to pass what we're doing on to someone else, to empower others and to lead others. But I confess that it's worth it, God, to see your name known among the nations. And I'm humbled that you call us to be a part of your story and that you allow us to be a part of your story. I'm grateful that you provide for us the manna and the living water that we need every day. I pray that you would move through Rock Hill, that we move out of a place of burnout and into a place of reaching the nations. We love you, Father, and we we pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen.